If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. Hello and welcome to the June 3rd, 2010 Sox Prospects podcast. Uh, this podcast is going to focus on the draft, which is in just a few days. Uh, we're only going to go for about a half an hour today so we can catch the Celtics game tonight. But um, we've been having some technical problems, so hopefully we won't have any issues going forward. But <laughs> we'll keep our fingers crossed. I'm uh, on with uh, Hatfield, Mellon, and Ian. How's it going, guys? What's up, Mike? Hello. Mellon, you there? Yeah, I'm here. Right, and Hattie's here too. Um, before we get into it, I want to just talk about um, some of the content we got going on on the on the website. Um, on Tuesday, we started up our seven-part draft preview. Uh, we had an introduction on Tuesday with just kind of information on the draft, uh, the the where the Red Sox are going to be picking the first-round order, um, where um, the Red Sox have the number twenty pick, where uh, who's been picked at number 20 for the last 10 years. Um, and so from there uh, on Wednesday, we had their past, the Red Sox past draft strategy we covered. Today we covered players linked to the Red Sox. This this podcast is installment four, and then we're going to be covering signability risks, a first round mock draft, and potential day one picks uh, over the course of the seven part series. Uh, and, and thanks to Ian and, and Hatfield for, uh, chipping in on, on that stuff. So moving forward, we just kind of want to talk about the Red Sox draft. Uh, and if you've been reading the preview, you know that they have three picks on day one, number 20, which is compensation for Billy Wagner. And that's a first round pick. And they have two supplemental round picks, number 36 and 39, comp- uh, the compensation for Jason Bay and Billy Wagner. Uh, day two is going to be rounds two through 30. Uh, the Red Sox have picks 57 uh, in the second round, and then the 28th selection in all rounds six through 30. And then day three is going to cover rounds 31 through 50. Uh, and the Red Sox also lost two picks to compensation this year. They lost number 29 for signing John Lackey and number 80 for signing Marco Scudero. So going into it right now, I just want to talk about something that we recently covered, some players that have been linked to the to the Red Sox. Uh, Ian, why don't you just start off with a few names that you, you heard that the Red Sox might be linked to? Well, the hot guy right now um, that every, every draft is linking the Red Sox to is Anthony Renato, who is the uh, right-handed pitcher out of LSU. Someone who you could say his star has fallen a long way since the beginning of the season when he was a consensus top three pick in the draft. Um, I guess there is some irony to him falling to the Sox because the Sox who are who are using the 20th pick because of the, the pick they gained for uh, the, the Braves signing Billy Wagner will, if they get Renato, they'll be drafting a, a kid from New Jersey who fell a long way, which is like what didn't happen when they lost their 20th pick and didn't get Rick Porcello. Um, and that's still... Yeah, that still hurts me. But <laughs> Jersey represent. The pain remains. But uh, Renato, I mean, there's a lot. Uh, you know, there's a lot of people saying a lot of different things about him. You know, he had he has a great arm. Last year, he throws you know 93, 95. 
um, good curveball, good secondary pitches. But this year, his his mechanics fell out of whack. He just hasn't pitched well at all in general. He hasn't looked good, and he hasn't gotten good results. So he's really he- not. Heading into the season, he was what considered the number two, number three prospect in the whole draft. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the number one pitcher and the uh, at least the number two or number three prospect. Okay. Uh, and so, what have his problems been this year? I guess first, the first thing was that he got hurt early in the season, and uh, he might he tried to pitch through that, and that messed up his mechanics, and he just hasn't rebounded since. Um, his best outing was his last outing, which was in the SEC tournament which happened to be the game which Theo was in attendance at. So that's really what started the kind of the heating up the rumors that the Sox would be in on him because he's he's certain to fall out of the top 10 picks just because of his asking demands and that he is, he is a Boris client and that he's going to be asking upwards of $2 million. Right. And so would you be for uh, that pick or not? And, and what are the pluses and minuses there? Um, obviously, the, the plus is that if you hit on him, it's a great value at that pick. You're getting a top, the top pitcher in the country with the 20th pick. And uh, as we know, the Red Sox are not going to have many opportunities to pick in the top five of the draft for the foreseeable future. So you're getting someone who you wouldn't have a shot at getting otherwise. The, the downside is that he has he, he is peaked, he's hurt, he's damaged goods, and that he won't return to the form that he showed last year. Right. Okay, we'll we'll surely t- talk more about him a little bit later in the podcast. Uh, another guy I want to talk about that's been linked to the Sox is uh, Bryce Brent. Uh, I know Mellon. You mentioned that you may want to talk about him. What what are your thoughts there? Um, Brent's is a outfielder and, and right-handed pitcher. He he projects as a as a right fielder at the you know at the professional and at the big league level. He's out of Middle Tennessee State, so you know he's one of those. He's a college bat and. The Red Sox haven't really had many opportunities to snag one of those college bats that could be pre- a premium power prospect. Um, he's got a really smooth swing from what I've watched on some video, and he, he's he's a little short though. He's he's six foot, one eighty, one ninety. They think he could put on maybe ten, ten to twenty pounds, depending on how he fills out. But um, he gets through the zone pretty quickly. He's got a more of a compact stroke, but he has some lift at the end of it, and. He's a guy who projects to have, you know, above average, you know, 55, 60 power at the um, the major league level when he's all said and done. So to me, he's just intriguing because the Red Sox don't get a chance to to pick someone like this. And a lot of people say, well, how come the Red Sox don't have power, you know, tons of premium power bats in their um, mm. the system? And it's really because you don't get a guy at in the mid to late 20s who's um, – Who's as developed as this guy is, and right. he used it. You know, he played for Team USA. He also he pitches, and he's got a pretty strong arm out from right field. He he just seems like a guy like like a like a Ryan Braun or a Longoria who could who could track pretty quickly through your system. I'm not saying he would have that type of impact at the major league level, you know, right off the bat, but he's a guy who could track pretty pretty quickly through the system within you know uh, 700 to 1100 plate appearances. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Uh, one guy, another guy that's been really getting a lot of um, pub as as being linked to the Red Sox is uh, Colbert Vidic. Uh, he's he's an infielder out of Ball State. Uh, he he really is a guy that is kind of um, he, he's a safe he's a high floor uh, in that he he safely projects as kind of a, a major league a guy that has a major league bat, um, but he also has um, a lot of he's got a potential to be like a, a 330 type of hitter type of player uh, with, with average 
power and about average, maybe slightly above average speed. Uh, but he's a smart player, really high baseball acumen. Um, de defensively, he doesn't really have a spot now, but it's not because he's a bad defensive player. Uh, he, he played third most of his um, career, but this year moved shifted over to second because of an arm problem that is not supposed to have long-term issues. Probably projected as a third baseman, uh, in, at the pro professional level, but possibly as a center fielder. Uh, and as long as this arm issue uh, goes away, which it should, is he, he'll have a plus arm at any one of those positions. So somebody that we really heard a lot about uh, Theo being in this kind of scouting him and, and the Sox scouts being all over. Yeah, Ian, did you want to chime in? Yeah, he's really been an interesting story this season just because he's one of the players who every year there's you know a college player or two who gains helium throughout the season and really rises to the top. Now they're saying he might not even get past San Diego at, at, at nine. Um, apparently they love him and there's a chance he could be a top 10 pick after really being unknown coming into the season, at least in the general, you know, by the casual draft fans. And that's something that's interesting with this draft. And maybe I'll ask Chris Hatfield this is that, I mean, we're looking at what the Red Sox are going to do here. And we're looking at five years of history of, of what they've done in the past, but that was Jason McLeod years um, going now. Uh, it's, it's Sade's turn to kind of take over the Red Sox draft. And at the same time, Theo's still there. The ownership is still there. Most of the scouting department is the same, but what are your thoughts on what might happen different or, or, or anything about what, what to expect at the top of this year's draft in general? I really don't think anything different is going to happen. Do uh, you think about it? The Saudi was there for what eight years, and everything we we saw quotes from Theo today that he basically said it, it, it's really pretty much very similar to how things have gone in the past. Just because you know Emil's been there, um, especially with all the picks they have for the top fifty-seven picks, um, I think we see a lot of the, a lot more of the same where they kind of do the whole diversify your portfolio thing. They'll get. You know, a couple, maybe a couple high ceiling high school guys. You know, if uh, maybe an Austin Wilson falls or a Castellanos, um, or you know, and then maybe try and get that stereotypical college arm that's been used as a you know closer or something. If there's a good one uh, early on, um, you know. But again, I think we see more of the same where they'll, they'll take one or two guys who are safe, and then uh, a couple guys who are kind of the all or nothing types that either seem to pan out well or, you know, there's a chance they fail, you know, that, right. which you've seen happen with a couple guys this year that seem to be at the end of their rope um, that there were picks like that. So uh, really, I think it's going to be more of the same in that they'll just do a little bit of everything. And it, it makes sense. It's a, it's a good strategy and it's paid off for them. Mm -hmm. um, so a couple other players we're talking about that, that have been linked to the Sox. Um, Asher Wojciechowski, um, we, we've been hearing in recent days as a guy that uh, the Red Sox may be high on. Um, Ian, what, what are your thoughts on him? Yeah, I like him. I've been following him throughout the season. He's um, He's got a real good arm. He, he's been throwing about 93 to 95 or maybe a little lower than that all season. Uh, his secondary pitches are, he, you know, they have the, the shot to be potential. At least his curveball does. Potential plus pitch. Mm -hmm. um, he He's someone who I think in a, a more typical draft year would be someone the Sox would target at in at one of, in one of their sandwich rounds, um, I think at twenty he would be a reach. It seems like he's kind of stuck in that gray area mm -hmm. where it'd be too early for him, and then he probably won't get to number thirty six. He's right. somewhere in that area, so I think that might that might just be trying like trying to fit a uh, square pe a square peg right. in a round hole. Yeah, I mean the things I've been hearing is that he's he's more closer material than 
he is uh, a starter material, and it's just, is that what you want to use at number 20? I don't know. Um, I think you're right on there where it's, he's, he's not, he's not good enough for 20, but he's probably not going to fall to 36. So it might not be somebody that is just in the card for the Sox. Um, but, and uh, also some of, some of these college pitchers like, like him and like Kyle Blair and, uh, Sammy Solis, maybe not Blair. I think he's a Boris client, but I think you'll see some reaches too, where they might go in the top 15 or 20 picks before the Sox even because a lot of teams are going to be very conservative financially this year. Just go with somebody that's going to that's going to uh, sign for slot. You're saying, right, right. Okay, all right. Um, another guy that uh, that I want to talk about that hasn't necessarily been linked to the Sox. Um, that is my favorite player in the draft. I'm going to ask Mellon about him. Is is Austin Wilson? Um, he's the guy that I want, but um, I know some of you guys aren't necessarily high on him. And I know that Melon, you've watched some video over the past few days. What are your thoughts on him? Um, yeah, I, I definitely agree with you. He's he's the guy. I I think he would be my number one choice at the the twentieth pick if I thought that he was really going to get to the Red Sox. I've I've seen him more like a on, on a lot of mock drafts as a top twelve mm-hmm. type pick. He's a guy that's been rising up. Um, he's a right-handed hitting outfielder, most likely looks like a right fielder. He's six foot four, 215 pounds right now at 18 years old. So he's, he's pretty well filled out. Um, he kind of looks like I, I was saying earlier off before we, we got on this um, podcast that he, he kind of looks almost like Curtis Granderson type body type, like that really lean and wirely wiry mm-hmm. body type. And he's, and, and he's already 215 pounds. His power ceiling, I think it's his power ceiling is like a Brandon Jacobs, like through the roof. Like mm-hmm. he can be a tr- have tremendous power, and um, he's not really a one-dimensional player. He has some speed. He's very good in the outfield. And the thing is with this hitting, you know, with these with some of these raw guys, as you've seen maybe like with guys like Will Middlebrooks who have come into the system, it's not I don't say a roll of the dice or a crapshoot, but you, it's going to take some time for him to develop a professional approach. So this is a guy who, you know, you're not going to see him in the big leagues at 20 or 21 years old. He's, he's probably a guy who's going to break in around 23, 20, between 23 and 25. So he's a very long, long lead pick. So, mm-hmm. and I've also heard, I, I know you mentioned too, Mike, that he's, he's asking for the moon in terms of a mm-hmm. signing bonus because he's committed to Stanford. So that's a guy, you know, that people pass on and can fall right to the Red Sox and then they can do their, their thing with offering, you know, bonuses. They're not, they're not shy with the money. So, yeah, and I mean, he he could he could fall far because the the, the word is that he's asking for four million dollars. He might be asking for uh, one of the top three bonuses in the draft. But at the same time, from what I'm hearing, from what I'm seeing, he probably has the the second highest ceiling in the draft after Harper. And and but like you said, he's he's raw. Uh, the the knock on him, he's still more of a guess hitter right now. Even though I think in high school last year he hit something like five sixty five. Um, but at the same time, he's just, he's got tools off the charts, 65, 70s in every category. And at the same time, he's supposed to be a very, very smart kid, just a golden boy type that that when I read these articles about him, um, he's just a kid that I, I see Theo latching on to a golden boy, smart kid, uh, character type of kid um, committed to Stanford, but there's questions of whether he's just going to go to Stanford no matter what happens. He, he really wants to go to college because he's a smart kid. Um, both of his parents, I don't know if I heard this correctly, are lawyers or something like that. Um, so who knows what happens there. But right now he's my favorite at number 20. But he's also a kid that I think could potentially slip past that just because of those really, really exorbitant bonus demands. I'm going to kind of ask Ian here. I know that he's not necessarily high on Wilson. 
uh, go for it. What do you think? Yeah, I don't want to say like I wouldn't touch him, but he's not someone who's on my radar. Okay. Just because first, like this is something that always uh, always confuses me with the draft and these players who slip. If he was what his ceiling is, if if that people, if teams really thought that, why wouldn't he be a top five pick? He sounds exactly what Donovan Tate was last year, the way people are projecting him. If teams thought like that, why wouldn't they draft a number two overall like they drafted Tate? This isn't a very strong draft, especially in the position, in terms of position players. Um, he sounds to me like Anthony Hewitt two years ago, who was drafted by the Phillies, who I actually think will also draft Austin Wilson in the first round. He sounds like someone who has can just put on a show in batting practice. He, he mm-hmm. can just wow you and he apparently hit 20 home runs in one batting practice session but every every report of him from in-game action is that he's over aggressive he can't recognize a curveball he can't he's he he swings at balls outside outside the plate i just that seems like a recipe for every single busted prospect who's had big tools in the history of mankind yeah i mean you're right there's there's bust potential there and that's the obvious downside there's bust potential he could be uh, he could be, I mean, Jason Place, is he a bust yet? I mean, he could be Jason Place, just not, nothing's happening there. Um, I guess we just agree that it's a high-risk, high-reward pick. Uh, I'm just kind of into the the high-reward right now, and, and um, maybe I'm just cross-eyed with it, but I, I I really want, that's the guy I'm targeting right now, but obviously there's bust potential. Uh, okay, next, guys, that we want to move on to, um, Caleb Cowart, uh two-way player uh, out of Georgia. Um, Chris Hatfield, can you add anything on him? Well, I I mean, there's the whole thing of the Red Sox loving the two-way guys. You know, you've got uh, in the system, Kelly. um, Middlebrooks was kind of a two-way guy coming out, as was Renfro. Um, He's a lot like Casey Kelly in that he wants to play every day. Um, I think you guys were saying earlier that he's he's a lot similar in the way that some teams see him as a a, a better pitcher mm-hmm. prospect. Um, you know, so it's it's almost like Casey Kelly deja vu. Um, it is. Yeah. Do, do they do they want to do that again though? Is the thing. Right. Um, you know, he wants tough... similar. He want, I mean, the the rumor is he wants similar bonus money. Uh, I don't know if that's really been backed up by the facts, but the rumor is that he wants similar bonus money. Then he almost sees yeah. himself as Casey Kelly. Yeah, and I mean the thing too. I mean he's also very athletic too. He's got what thirty? I think he had thirty-two steals. I'm seeing right here this year. I mean, so he's athletic uh, in all aspects. He uh, he'd be a third baseman in the field, mm-hmm. uh, righty on the mound. I, I, I mean, is, I'm wondering. You guys probably know this better than I, better than I do. But does he fall to the Red Sox even? I mean, BA's got him twelfth uh, on their list uh, as of the twenty-fifth at least. So, uh, you know. I don't know if he falls. I don't know if he's a fit. So he could fall because there's some bonus. There's some signability yeah. issues, but um, it's not you know, definite. I mean, it's it's, it's a weird. To... He uh, I don't know. He's Florida, Florida State. You asked where he That's committed right. to. Yeah, I think it's Florida yeah. State. Yeah, Florida State. You can right. buy him out of there. While we're talking <laughs> about that, Ian, <laughs> Ian, is there is there any chance that Stetson Ali falls at all, or is he top ten no matter what? I you know I think there is a chance he could fall. Um, he's had a lot, he's, he's really risen throughout the year, but I, I, I never know with these guys because it's, I mean, obviously it just takes one team to pick him, but there's so many bonus demands floating around out there. And I mean, there's just so many question marks around him. I could see him going in the twenties just as well as seeing him go with, you know, top eight. Right. So I really don't know with him. Yeah. Okay. 
Um, one guy that uh, has been getting um, a lot of mentions with the Sox uh, is Barrett Liu. Um, can we talk a little bit about him? Um, Ian, why don't you go ahead? Yeah, I like him a lot. He's really good. He's someone I would – I mean, if he's there at 36, I would jump all over him. Mm-hmm. Uh, really good arm. Just he's gonna, he's a reliever down the road, no doubt about it. But he's he reminds me a lot of Papelbon actually. Yeah. Um, that kind of mentality, you know, ninety five, ninety six, consistently. Uh, I would without without hesitation, I would jump on him. So he's a righty out of Texas A and M. How does yeah. he compare with another righty out of Texas? Chad Wilson. Chad, Chad Bettis. Uh, oh, oh. Uh, I, I thought you were gonna right, righty out of Texas A and M. Chad Wilson or uh, Alex. Right. Wilson. That's right. How does he compare to Alex Wilson? How does he compare to he, Chad? He Bettis? throws a little harder than Alex Wilson. Yeah. Um. Same kind of arsenal, obviously, that kind of sinker slider reliever arsenal. I think he, he has more of a curve than a slider, but, uh, you know, same kind of pitcher. Okay. Um, Bettis is another guy. I think Bettis, if he didn't lead the the nation in ground ball percentage this year, he was definitely in the top five. Uh, he pitches for Texas Tech, which is a huge hitter's, hitter's uh, environment. If you look at pitchers like Dallas Braden, who pitched there, or uh, Zach Stort, who's now in the minors, they're players who they really they they did they, their numbers don't even compare to Bettis's in terms of strikeouts, hits allowed, um, all those kind of component numbers. So if if you look at just historical comps for him and his stuff, which can get up to 97, 98, mm-hmm. good slider, I, he's another guy who if he's there at 36, I would definitely take him. Um, and you know the Sox are going to take someone like that anyway, so you might as well have it someone we like. Right, I mean, <laughs> and there's probably going to be a high school guy. Uh, I mean, they'll take whoever's the best, but. Good bet is that one of the supplemental or the second rounders is going to be a low mileage college arm, and those are the guys, uh, the Bettis, um, um, who else? Yeah, Lou, Sammy Sol- Solis, that type. I mean, there's so many of those in this draft that um, the Sox could take three of them this time. You know, you, you never know. Um, okay, a few more guys um, that I want to cover. Um, there's two guys out of that were high school teammates. We covered a little bit of this in the draft preview. Matt Harvey, um, who's pitching uh, for North Carolina, and Jesse Hahn, uh, a pitcher for Virginia Tech, both projected around the first round. Both uh, went to high school in Connecticut together. Um, can you kind of compare and contrast them a little bit, Ian? Uh, kind of similar pitchers. Both are ground ball pitchers. Um, Hahn has a, I guess, in terms of velocity, he has a better arm. Harvey gets more ground balls. Mm-hmm. Han is kind of the people see him. Actually, both are projected to be future relievers, but Han is kind of a lock at this point. While Harvey, you know, he still has a chance to. He'll start probably throughout the minors, at least yeah. little minors. Um, Harvey also has Borgian, which might be a deciding factor in where he goes. It's still kind of an unknown there, and that's the reason he didn't sign out of high school when he he was drafted in third round by the Angels. Mm-hmm. Um. But yeah, again, there's this draft is weak in in position players and and very strong in college pitching. So there's an abundance of college pitching, and they can go anywhere. I mean, these guys, depending on a team that you know maybe wants to just take a player that's signable, it can go anywhere from ten to thirty. Okay. Ian, um, I got a quick I, I got a quick question for you on um, Matt Harvey. Does he kind of remind you a little bit of Brian Price, not statistically or anything like that, but he's He's a guy who who gets his fastball up into the mid mid nineties, but it really lacks that late finish, and, and it's pretty straight and hittable. No, I think he's a guy who gets a lot of movement on his fastball. Um, if nothing else, if his even if his his curveball and his secondary pitches aren't great or aren't consistent, 
his fastball is consistently explosive and consistently has life on it. So, um, unlike, yeah, I guess Price kind of had that where after the second or third inning, he would kind of straighten out and he pitches up. Mm -hmm. I think Harvey is almost the opposite. Harvey's. I think Harvey's main issue is supposed to be his command. He's got strange, strange mechanics, and he's had had a tendency to be all over the place on occasion. Um, but that's something that may be able to be corrected. And I think that's something that really kind of is the variable in his projection whether he can start or not, whether he can kind of hone that command. Um, he also has a very good slider, and I think whether he can kind of pick up a changeup somewhere along the way. Uh, will be the decision maker whether he's a he, he's a starter or a closer. Um, no, I'm sorry, starter or reliever. Um, I'm going to move on to a next guy, and this is a guy that that Chris Mellon that you covered last year um, in in one of our previews, and he's kind of a big variable this year. We have no idea where he's going to go, and that's James Paxton. Can you just tell us a little bit about him? Um, Paxton, he's a former product. He's he's actually a former pitcher from Kentucky University, of Kentucky. He had what he he had issues with agent. He had hired an agent after last draft, and so he couldn't go back to Kentucky. I believe that's what happened. Uh, it's a little bit different than I mean. I think, I think he he has Boris as an agent. Um, Boris had some discussions with um, Toronto when he was drafted last okay. year. And there were some questions about that, and then Kentucky suspended him, and he left Kentucky. Yep. So he's been pitching in the independent league um, for the last couple um, weeks. And basically, he's he's a left-handed he's a left-handed uh, starter right now. He can get his fastball up into the mid, the mid to high 90s as a lefty. He features a, a pretty tight slider, um, and a, he, I think he he has a little bit of a feel for a changeup right now. And he just, you know how Ian and I loved Nick Hagedorn. He just I, I believe I said it last time when we were talking about the draft too. He just seems like that clone that that Nick Hagedorn clone, and, and we yeah. really need to get we needed to get him back into the system. So what better? Way to then to uh, draft James Paxson, you know. <laughs> right. Okay. Um, we're going to go for about five more minutes here. Uh, I just want to cover three guys before we move on to our predictions. Um, Ian, um, real quick hitter on Tyrell Jenkins. We just heard today that he might be that the Red Sox might be interested in him. What's his story? He's a really athletic pitcher. Um, right now, he's just really more of a project and anything but you know he has a really quick arm which is a, a product of his athleticism can throw 93 to 95 and uh he's looking like a sandwich pick and i guess he was connected with by keith law i, I didn't hear about this until today but he was connected to the Sox by uh, keith law mm-hmm. which is interesting because they don't right. generally take that kind of picture right um historically so it would be interesting if they did to take him what i've heard a lot i've seen a lot of mock drafts that put him with the yankees uh, early on, but that might have just been a lazy thing where one guy does it and the next guy does it, uh, project it the same way. Um, next guy I want to talk about, um, not necessarily a first-rounder, but Kevin Zyomek. Um I know Chris Hatfield had uh, something to mention about him. Um, Hatfield, what, what are your thoughts there? Well, he's linking him with the Sox would be kind of the lazy, he's a local guy connection. Uh, he's out of Amherst, Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. Um, apparently his family is something to the effect of the first family of Amherst baseball, basically. Um, he, uh, his grandfather apparently started baseball in, in Amherst. Uh, he's a left-handed pitcher. He's got a, he's got a, uh, commitment to Vanderbilt. So you've got the local guy with a commitment to Vanderbilt thing there, but, uh, you know, I think putting him with the Sox 
again, like I said, it's kind of lazy. Uh, mm. The the competition out there isn't super, although Amherst does have a good team. And one last thing on Zymec, he was the Massachusetts State Player of the Year. So for whatever that's worth, he's at least a local boy who will go in the first five rounds. So that's Zymec. Good luck to him. Good luck to him. And uh, by the way, just for anyone wondering at home, uh, we've lost Ian. So the three of us will soldier on without him. We've had terrible, terrible <laughs> luck with um, technical difficulties. And, and while Hatfield just got kicked off, Mel and I were talking about it. This is like the Simpsons episode with the nine separate catastrophes. Yeah. We've had four guys and seven separate catastrophes already in this. So with that, let's move on before something else happens. Before someone's jaw becomes right. grotesquely swollen. Before we make our predictions, um, we wanted to note that there – uh, the 99th uh, best player in the country, according to BA, is Kendrick Perkins, uh, an outfielder out of LaPorte High School in Texas. So uh, for you Celtics fans out there, there you go. Um, Tipping off and, as we speak. Right. Uh, <laughs> great. All right. So we're going to wrap this up then. Uh, Ian wanted to also note before he um, disappeared into the night that he <laughs> guaranteed that the Red Sox were going to draft Sean Coyle, a shortstop at a Germantown Academy in Pennsylvania, uh, somewhere in the fourth or fifth round, and give him a million bucks uh, to sign him away from his um, North Carolina commitment. So with that, we're moving on to our predictions. Um, Hatfield, um, why don't you give us Ian's? Because he was able to text us. Yeah, Ian says that uh, he thinks the Sox will pick uh, Renato in the first round. And uh, in rounds three to five, either Cody Stanley or Rob Segadin. Uh, so there you go. Seeing okay. picks. I have feel your picks. Um, I think first round, I have a f- strange feeling that it's going to be a strange first round and that uh, Nick Castellanos out of uh, Archbishop McCarthy High School in Florida will fall and the Sox will take him. Uh, mm-hmm. Third baseman, that's a position they're kind of weak at. Not that that's why they'll pick him, but um, I like him there. And at uh, 36, um, let's see. Oh, God, I had it. Uh, I think they'll probably wind up taking either Bettis or uh, Barrett Lou at uh, 36. Okay. Not Kendrick Perkins. Not Kendrick Perkins, no. <laughs> okay. Um, Mellon, shoot. Uh, the, the number one guy at the 20 would be Bryce Brents, but mm-hmm. I really don't think he's going to get past 15. Mm-hmm. So there's a guy, I don't. we didn't touch on him, but he's actually an intriguing pick, and it, it, it seems like maybe – Maybe someone the Red Sox could potentially target. It's uh, Justin O'Connor from Cowan High School in Indiana. He's actually converted to catcher this year, and then he's a right-handed batter, and he profiles as an above-average hitting catcher. But he's a high schooler, and he's still learning catcher, so he's he's years years away, so he's not really the catcher of the future, the near future. But just one of those intriguing picks that I think maybe comes out of nowhere that they'd select him at 20. Mm-hmm. And um, if Brents doesn't slide to them, and at 36, I, I'm going to go with, agree with Hatfield as well. Bet- um, Chad Bettis, I just think he fits the profile for the Red Sox to take that reliever, and um, he's going to he's going to sign for slot. So, okay, um, mine uh, at 20 is uh, like I said before, it's Austin Wilson, but I like I said, I think that there's a chance that that. Uh, $4 million demand uh, is designed to push him back to later to teams that are able to pay him the $4 million and he could get all the way to 36 with that. If that's the case, I think they're going to go with somebody that uh, like a Matt Harvey at 20, go with Austin Wilson at 36. Um, 
And I also agree with this, that, that Chad Bettis is the guy at 36. If Wilson is at 20, um, if, if Wilson is there at 36 and Bettis is there at 39, I think that he, he's just a, he's just a prototypical Red Sox draft pick there. So uh, all of us are, are picking him. So hopefully, um, hopefully we're right. Um, but I guess we'll all see on, um, on Monday, uh, Tuesday and and Wednesday, uh, we'll be covering the draft live here uh, in multiple places. And as you 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 know where to find it, uh, draft history, uh, the blog, the message board. Uh, come and check it out. Uh, I think uh, we're the number one spot for Red Sox draft info. So um, hopefully, enjoy it. Have a good week. Take care, people. Bye. Has the winter season taken a toll on your tile, upholstery, carpet? Call Cyclone Cleaners five seven zero seven two six sixty two hundred. For all your carpet, upholstery, and ceramic tile cleaning needs, it's Cyclone Cleaners, also offering odor treatment and soil and stain guard. Choose the only cleaning company that supplies the water to clean your home and disposes of it when they are finished. Call Cyclone Cleaners to schedule your cleaning today, 570-726-6200.